Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. This is Johnson. Oh, William Johnson. Good night. I'm sorry. Thank that, you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, courtesy, you know. I'm a nice mm. guy like that. Thank um, you. When I, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. This is all for tangents for sake, for shared passions, and high fives wash away any place for hate. No matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a guest in the house tonight. Uh, we want to say, you to say hello to Joel Winstead, a member of the North Carolina Film Critics Association, and also um, a uh, the host of the And the Winner Was podcast that Will and I have both guested on, where he's going through the best picture winners from the beginning of time and one by one and talking them over. And uh, Will and I have been lucky enough to be uh, multiple time people on there. So, Joel Winstead, welcome to the Cinephile History Fit. Thanks for, thanks for bringing me on here. I can't wait to start ringing bells and calling names. That's right. Got it. Sweet. So. Um, how this is now for our he's coming on for two recordings. So the first one here we've got tonight is uh, is guest choice every time. So we've got 1974's The Taking of Pelham one two three. Um, Joel will tell us about how we why you reckon uh, why he recommended this. You don't need to do a plot summary or anything like that. He's the guest. He'll go first. Other than that, our format is this: uh, lovers will go first. They'll get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high minute case. The hater will follow with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present any counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up for about a half hour share conversation where the hiss if it really gets chippy. So, ladies and gentlemen, jump your barricades. Don't throw a token in the thing, and let's go. Um, me, Joel? I'm up. yeah, yeah. Do you can you keep your own time or do I got you? Uh, I can keep my own time. Fire away, five minutes. All right. So when you when I got to do guest choice, I sent a bunch of movies because <laughs> I have a lot of favorites. But we ended up picking two that are very great because one that we'll talk later is my all time favorite since I was like in diapers, and the other one I just saw for the first time within the last calendar year. And it like immediately jumped into like my favorite of all time territory for all the reasons I'm about to explain. Um, but it's just really exciting to kind of talk about an oldie but a goodie and then like a newbie but like a way too goodie. So taking the Pelham one, two, three. I didn't know Robert Shaw was in this. Jaws is probably my favorite movie of all time. And so right away, I see Robert Shaw looking dapper as fuck. And <laughs> He's about to take over a subway train car. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I was just like, I am in. And then what proceeds to happen is a bunch of grumpy-ass New York rail workers who have no time for anyone's shit are, are uh, kind of trying to take, trying to, to figure out what's going to happen with this hijacking because this doesn't happen in the 70s. Um, so they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And one of my... The thing that sticks out the most to me is the juxtaposition between the calm, cool, collected terrorists who have an agenda, they have a plan, they know exactly what they're doing. And then when we switch over to the rail workers with Walter Matthau and Jerry fucking Stiller, they have no idea what they're doing. They're flying by the seat of their pants. They're they're in the dark. Uh, and like the constant back and forth is is what keeps you invested in the movie. It's what keeps the movie rolling and moving. But not only that is it's constantly hilarious. Um, Walter Matthau 
works well with everyone, whether he's he's you know shoveling shit over the radio to the terrorists or if he's giving it back and forth to people in his office i mean he's he's saying things like michigas and he's saying all kinds of great new york slang and slurs and um i i'm just in love with the sassy mathow um there's so many running bits in this movie it's so hard to keep track this is like a straight-up comedy like there are callbacks and they're in fact the like main point of the movie is based off of a freaking callback of something that just keeps happening throughout the movie and the movie ends on like probably the most amazing callback that there ever was um it's got it's got it's got so many quotable lines lines that i have copied and pasted into my notes on my phone so that i can so that i can refer to them and keep laughing at them um yeah, I mean it's it's got it's got it's got actors who are playing well with each other. It's got Hector Elizondo, who we know in the later years for like his Gary Marshall like Valentine's Day New Year's Eve movies, but he's playing like a, a crazy he's like the wild card of the terrorist group. Um you know, watching watching the interplay between the terrorists. There's the wild card. There's the cool, calm, collected guy. There's the, the inside man, and then there's um, the neighbor from Home Improvement. And you only see his stuff of his face, uh, stuttering his way through it. But it's just all around. I'm gonna go under two minutes or under five minutes. But all around, I, I was just struck by how extremely watchable the movie was, how funny it was, and just how instantly kind of like iconic the characters were and stuck in my memory and just stuck in my craw um it's insanely fun to watch and it's got one of the best endings you're gonna find nicely done well are you the hater lover how you want to do this oh i gave this five stars so i'm i'm a lover I'm the, for sure i'm the hater at fourth okay that's no problem okay yeah well, um you're strong but yeah 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 you're five. We've been, you know, we've kind of been going against this, the whole point of the show because we've kind of been loving everything we've been talking about lately. But I, you know, whatever. We can't fight about everything. But uh, no, I'm really glad, Joel, you put this one on here because um, I've been meaning to watch it for a long time. Because I, uh, anyone who follows me on Letterboxd knows that like two of my favorite like subgenres of film is I really like Forgotten New York. Like the New York that doesn't exist anymore, which this would definitely fit into. You know, you're talking about late 60s, early 70s. New York is uh, just this whole different universe that doesn't exist anymore. I also love like the underbelly of L.A. So I'm I'm a sucker for these kind of movies. I'm not sure why I never watched it before. Um, I know that um, I recently read Cinema Speculation by Tarantino, and he references this a few times. And obviously... I don't want to be a broken record for all the episodes where I'm mentioning the Tarantino connections. We talked about this in Hanover street too, but I mean, obviously there had to be some kind of subconscious, you know, uh, call with the Mr. Green, Mr. Gray, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I don't know why I never watched it. It's, it's always been on Tubi. It's been ready to go, but, uh, this was a perfect excuse to do it. And, um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of movies from the seventies. I'm a big new Hollywood guy. I like the seventies a lot, but admittedly sometimes just depending on the type of filmmaker, the type of film from that time period, you got to be in the right mood and everything like that. So, um, 
you know, because it's just a little bit different. Sometimes things are a little presented a little bit differently, a little bit slower, whatever, in some cases, not all. Um, but, you know, this is one of those things where I popped it on before I knew it was over. And I was like, holy crap, that was, you know, whip smart dialogue, whip crack editing. Just, um, I, I don't want to be the typical critic and say adrenaline thrill ride, but it it was, it's just something when you put on, it just, you never think about the time. You never think about how antiquated maybe the technology is or the, the slang terms or whatever. Like you're just in it. You're in that world. And, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, give, give credit to things like Star Wars and Blade Runner and things like that for like that used future thing. But I also really dig when you, you kind of feel, I'm not going to say this is documentary like, but the charm of this movie is that you really do feel like this is a used present in the sense, like you kind of just feel, I know the, I know all the sets of the interiors were, you know, they're interior sets on a, on a, on a soundstage, but it just feels so real and lived in and, and, uh, and the characters are so authentic. Just the casting is brilliant. You know, these people interact as if, especially, especially the people, uh, I, maybe, maybe Joel will know the names better than I do just, uh, because he's, you know, got this in his all time favorites, but, um, who's the, who's like the main, um, like the guy who's in charge, he, he, he ends up going to storm the, you know, like people are like, don't go in there. You're going to get shot. It's like, fuck you. I want to run this place. Like this place needs to run properly. But like that whole group, like there's like a group of three or four of them. And they just, they feel like they just pulled those guys out of their jobs and put them right in the movie. And that really does help. And and the fact that I think there's a lot of realism to it. Like, you know, there's the the guy who's in charge of making sure the trains are running and like, yeah, he's, upset there's people hostage but he's like what the hell am i gonna do with these other 18 trains you know he's mad and then you got kind of like this indifference going on which i think is probably the case there's a lot of like bureaucracy being like it's more like a uh like a an annoying fly that's running around on them than like an actual problem they're just like oh great now we got to go to this station and now we got to deliver the money this way we got to Oh, I got to go hold a, a blockade over here. Great. Like, you know, it's, it's very like, I don't know. It just feels lived in and real and not grandiose, not melodramatic. And that, that realism adds to it. Um, you know, uh, and then of course, you know, like I said, the cast is excellent. Mathau is a, is a killer at one liners. You know, he's, he did it in multiple decades, you know, from the sixties through the nineties, you know, he was just a master of deadpan. And then Robert Shaw is so freaking cool in this one. It, he's almost cool enough that you almost kind of want to see him get away with it, you know? Um, and he kind of goes out like a baller boss, too. He's just like, oh, you're not going to take me alive. And he electrocutes himself. Um, and I do agree with what Joel said. I think it's one of the best endings I've ever seen because it it it's smart. It's not, like, overdramatic. It's not, like a climax building kind of thing. It's just like, at you credits. And it's like, damn, that was cool. Like that's, and then of course, Matha gives that classic, you know, face. So, uh, an enjoyable film. I'm so glad, uh, Joel recommended this one. Cause it's, it's now going to be something. I mean, that would be, that would enter the rankings now when I do a future top 100, because it's a five-star film. It's going to go on the board. And it may place because it's great. So thanks for recommending this one. Nicely done, sir. Nicely done. Now for me, um, 
I, I, it sounds like I've seen this movie earlier than the two of you, um, where, um, I stumbled into this movie because, uh, probably because of Quentin Tarantino's hard on for this movie, because you watch reservoir dogs and, Oh, one man's homage. That's another man's ripoff in terms of character names. And here we are, but no, um, uh, I watched this probably like a person who saw it in anticipation of I. So John Travolta's got this movie. Let me see what the, the OG is. And I watched the original and it just, oh, it's just so fucking good. Um, super tight, 104 minutes. Um, you know, yes, it is a complete time capsule of its era. And then, um, you know, and just to kind of pile on like the kind of people, like you said, the lived in New York, the CD side of New York. And I'm so cool with this being an absolute time capsule for its era while still having sensibilities that could play now, I, even though the remake's not the best, it just still kind of does a great job of, um, just yeah, being an action movie, you can plug in at any time and it's got a timeless quality of suspense to it. And again, some comedy to it. I, when you watch movies like not, not just Reservoir Dogs because of the naming thing, but when you watch a movie like Die Hard, it owes a lot to a movie like this because like the ideas of um, your everyman man of action, because Walter Matthau is not going to it's kind of where Bruce Willis is coming from before Die Hard. We didn't know he had it in him in terms of being like an action star and a physical one at that. It just kind of has that everyman, you know, New York schlubby quality and, and Matthau it like, I think he was like you know 50 47 57 whenever he made this movie was just not young um despite the grecian formula rocking the hair do doing great um but no he comes rolling in here with just the crass the sarcasm the confidence um but at the same time the diligence to still kind of be a i'm gonna get my man and figure this out and save the day um and then yeah you pile on the the way the ocean wave of ethnic new yorkers the same way that the ethnic wave of Chicagoans show up in the fugitive, you know, like that's the, another comp I have where you, you have a lived in the city. I don't want to say the city is a character. That's a cliche thing to say, but like the setting is, you know, such an indelible part of where the movie's going for. And then from the other seventies kind of time capsule part, David Shire comes in with that just jazzy fucking awesome thriller score where he just knows when to just kind of keep it peppy, keep it moving. But then at the same time, twist the screws and make you really nervous when you need to be nervous because you're right. You've got some heavy devious little bad guys with their little disguises. They're cool as a cucumber composure, their planning and all that. And in that way, nothing about the movie sloppy until you see the law enforcement that are like you, like Will said, kind of barking over the microphones. How the fuck are we going to get the trains out of here? You know, the, all that shit is kind of just, they're the they're the incompetent ones that have to kind of raise their game to be able to get out of this situation. And that's a fun arc to get through. Um, when I try to do homework on the movie in terms of like, you know, how did this work? How did this happen? Um, it's based on a 1973 novel. So kind of like when Joel and I were talking about like a gentleman's agreement for his show, like you have a movie that's kind of taking advantage of like the hot pulp novel beach read of the moment and saying, Hey, that's so damn good. We need to make a movie. Let's go. And they just kick this out. Um, I don't know much about Joseph Sargent in terms of like where, what he did before or after I'll have to do some homework on that. But I mean, Peter Stone's a, a legit screen screen screenplay guy from the era who can, you know, get that cooking and moving and it works great. Um, fantastic casting to get Robert Shaw between the sting and jaws. You know, he's a professional movie heavy and he plays one perfectly here. Um, yeah, I just, I, I loved it when I saw it. Um, as soon as I saw the Travolta one, I was immensely disappointed where this can just stay on its own. Um, in terms of the pillar that it earns and has, it's one of the rare, 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 rare movies that has a perfect 100% Rotten Tomatoes where no one's dumb enough to go, what the fuck is this movie? Everyone looks at it and goes, man, it's really good to see it kind of 
since we do have Joel here, to see it kind of flatline of the Oscars is disappointing, where it got no nominations and nothing. But then I look at the year, and it's you know it's like Chinatown, Godfather Part Two, the conversation. You know, you're just not going to get a leg in when when that's the year of movies, and this is this counts as probably a star-driven dalliance than it does you know something prestige. But I I love that this movie has stood the test of time to be a time capsule for New York, um, an absolute template and blueprint for how to do an action comedy. And then at the same time, hey, show what this era can do in terms of making something smart, something fun, something with some edge. Movies today, even the Travolta one, just don't have the this balls, this swagger. So I, I'm super impressed every time I get a chance to see this. So, man, it's fun. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please, uh, hang tight and please enjoy the short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. You've seen Twin Peaks all the way through, but all you have are spoiler-free discussions? At Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, no information is classified and nothing beats the listening sensation when production history collides with deep theory. Put the coffee on. All right, welcome back. Thank you much, fellas. Joel, tell us more about how this came to you and why we're here and all that. Keep it going. Yeah, so every week, me and and my two buddies, Mark and Tim, shout out Mark and Tim, we we all live in the same area, best friends for years. And every week we bet on the box office and whoever gets closest to the box office assigns the other two a movie to watch. All right. Um, I like this game. We've been doing this for a very long time. And so a lot of these movies that I'm watching, uh, my, my, my best friend, like he knows my sensibilities. He knows what I like. Um, and so he was like, you got to watch this movie. So that's how the movie originally came to me. I, it's been on my list for forever, but I never just got around to it until like it was. I lost a bet, you know. It was assigned to me. I had to watch it. <laughs> um, and then, like like I said before, like as soon as as soon as uh, within the first five minutes, uh, Robert Shaw is is right there, and I was just like, oh my god, this is because you know, like if you don't know me, Jaws is like I don't know. It's like part of my personality. It's probably super annoying at this point, but um, yeah, I just I just kept falling in love with it, and. I, I love movies where people are like really good at their jobs. <laughs> and so like in this one, like the terrorists, they're like, they're on top of it. They have their rules. They know what they're doing. But on the other end of it, everyone that's working on the, on these rail cars, like they all know like what, when, when Will, you were talking about that guy, his actor's name is Tom Petty, but he plays Kaz, Kaz Dolowitz. And he's like, walking down the rail yard and then the, the terrorists are like you can't go any further he's like fuck you i'm getting on this thing he's like this is we got to keep this moving <laughs> um just like everyone like watching the board the switchboards and 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 like they knew what they were doing and i don't know it's just like it's just so intriguing it's just it's so for me so highly watchable um oh yeah i definitely want to i told my I called my dad and i was like because he hasn't seen it either i'm like when you when you get back he's he's on vacation right now it's like Let's watch that together. Like I want to watch it again. You know, it's it's uh it's that good. Like I I really loved it. No, I I'm just um I'm impressed with um just you would on paper it probably shouldn't work. You know, Walter Matthau. You know, I guess it's the Transit Authority. Where how hardcore can that get? Like you know, um, you're not expecting Rambo to work down there at the Transit Authority. Uh, he that, gave but, a uh, full list. He gave a full list of everything that could happen to the Japanese men. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, like 18 different things. <laughs> that could well, well, like Joel yeah. said, you got a guy who's good at his job and when necessary, like I kind of was hinting at, is ready to raise his game when he needs to. He doesn't strike me again. He's not going to tie a fire hose around himself and jump off the roof of the Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> but like he, he'll get down and dirty if he has to, because that's kind of the job and that's kind of fun. Um, I I enjoyed 
the menace of the terrorists. Like again, like Joel said, Hector Elizondo, who I'm used to seeing as the you know the the manager of the hotel and pretty woman, you right. know, and and every sitcom cute thing he's ever done. Yeah, and then yeah, Earl Hinman from from Home Improvement, who mm-hmm. we normally see from you know the the nose up, you know, just just menacing. Like these, you have to kind of believe that. 70s or not, you know, because I know it's we're in the era of the Godfather where we're in New Hollywood, violence is in movies and whatnot. You almost expect a body count at some point in these movies, but at the same time, you still need characters where you who you can believe who you can believe will take a life and, and do do the worst and or, or that the worst could happen. And you you get that from like when Hector Alexandro's introduction is like, you know, I, I fucking some woman on the train and doing the tongue thing. And like, and of course, uh, Robert Shaw comes in just being straight business, you know, gun, well, gun drawn and everything. Like these are some heavies and, and that's good. It's, there's not a, I know they kind of all dissolve and fuck up by the end, but um, initially you, you go, damn, they're, they're here to play. That is the only flaw I can find in the movie. Um, okay. Is the Hector Elizondo. Hector Elizondo character because and this is yeah. a flaw in my number two movie of all time which is Heat. Um, okay, okay. The wild usually, card. usually, yeah, usually yeah. to get the plot moving, like there is no way in hell Robert De Niro and Heat and Robert Shaw in this movie would ever. It, just the way their characters are, I can't imagine them hiring. Like, there's no uh, way I that like you. Robert De Niro would hire Wayne Grow in Heat, yeah, yeah. and there is no freaking way Robert Shaw would hire this wild card, like you said, Joel, like. He he seems too crazy because at, at one point don't don't they say that he was kicked out of the mafia? <laughs> that's how crazy he is. So like I, I don't know. I know that that's a dramatic device. It's the mm-hmm. only thing that, like I said, it's probably one of the only flaws I can see. I don't even like that in my second favorite movie of all time that they have that, but it has to drive the plot. It has to create tension within you know within the bad guys. Um, but to to go on your point, like, like they do a, such a great job. Uh, I don't remember. I, I, I assume he's like a trainee or he's just starting one of the uh, conductors. Like, he's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you watch him died, like get drilled by a superior before the superior yeah. and he's on the train. Right. Like when okay. he freaking dies, that's like tragic. Like I felt yeah. really bad. Like I was like, Oh man, that guy had to die. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. it just shows you the stakes that are there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just a lot of colorful characters just interacting together and uh, just blending together perfectly. But like I said, that's the only thing I would say I had a flaw flaw with is that. But it also is kind of a common trope of the thriller. There's always going to be that one that's right. wild card yeah. guy that shows up there. But that's just my thing. But, yeah. Interjecting some, some fun trivia, that, that yeah. engineer, the, the train conductor guy that gets killed, that mm-hmm. is the actor matthew broderick's father get out of here mr oh, broderick. mr broderick. I, I i kept thinking i know it's not i know it's not possible because of the age but like it looks like xander berkeley to me the whole time <laughs> like xander, <laughs> xander berkeley is gonna get you know but then i realized there's not enough weird sex shit in this movie for xander <laughs> so, uh, Fair point. but don uh yeah a little connection for and also for you joel uh joseph Sargent directed jaws the revenge he sure did. Um, so, okay. uh, and you know what? It looks like, I mean, he's still with us. So bless him. Probably. He's still with us. And it looks like he's kind of a, um, 
he's got four Emmy awards. It, he kind of hit the HBO track. He did like okay something something the Lord made, Miss Ever's Boys, Warm Springs, Ooh, stuff like that. You know ones. that yeah. So I, he's he definitely hit his stride. I think later in life because everything else kind of like just looking through the letterbox, you know, uh, stuff that is notable, but definitely for sure, yeah. You know, lower tier in terms of the famous stuff. But then, like I said, he had some of those HBO movies, which I think got him on the proceed because he has four Emmys for directing. So that's pretty good. Hard to do. So yeah, not little, I would say a journeyman director looks like, but you know, he has this yeah, one, so. one incredible, like, I, I guess a comp I can think of is like, uh, like John Singleton, you know, opens up with like a masterpiece with boys in the hood and then just kind of journeys through Hollywood ever since. And this kind of feels like that too. He's got this one bonafide classic. Yeah, and the rest is kind of. He directed. He directed an episode of the OG Star Trek too. Um, oh no! No way! That yeah. sounds like a Star Trek name. That sounds like a name of a director right. on the '60s Star Trek. Uh, Which episode was well, he directed? Uh, I, mean, I don't. Got, I'm not sure the exact episode. Yeah, that's something Will's going to. Oh, here it is: the Corbinite Maneuver. Oh, that's like one of the most famous Star go. Trek episodes. So. Yeah. yeah, that's like an all-time classic there. Yeah. So. But unfortunately, well, he's, def- he's definitely dead, though. He died in 2014. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. Oh, why does he say... What? Oh, it says he was an American filmmaker. Somebody told me yeah. something on here said is, and I was like, oh, okay. So he's yeah, not with it, us. I apologize. He's been dead for <laughs> nine years. My bad. Yeah. I mean, World War II veteran from the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, Italian immigrant kid. So Joseph Sargent's a stage name for Giuseppe Daniel Sargenta. So yeah, that's how that's going to go. So, but I mean, that's Hollywood for you. It's where they, where that goes. Um, but no, um, uh, I, yeah, like I, I know I looked at the Oscar thing earlier and it's a tough year to crack in and all that, but like, I, I'm so glad that this movie stands through the test of time. I'm so glad that it's a cult following kind of thing. Um, I'm still that guy. I, I did this in an episode that Will and I did where we watched uh, Hanover Street with uh, with uh, Harrison Ford, just a little known 1979 Harrison Ford thing. And I was always amazed how, um, a score can just take a good movie and make it a great movie. And and John uh, Barry is one of those sweeping romantic score kind of guys, and he makes Hanover Street just, you know, lift a little more than its tawdriness should should. And same thing with David Shire here. Like, I mean, that's just a oh, just a whip cracking good score that's just so clever and and so and again so seventies. Like you'll never hear anybody make a score like that today at all. It'd be electronica bullshit. So I, making, I just I he, tip my he, hat. He, he, he he has done you want to talk about a guy who went all over the place i mean he did zodiac the conversation all the president's men saturday night fever mm-hmm. short circuit i mean he's yeah. all over the place he's done all kinds of stuff now um, he's still with us is he i'm not i'm yeah. not trusting my own. i no he is <laughs> on this one no um i saw one of his super late scores where he would how old would he be with doing this score so he's 86 this was seven years ago so when he was 79 i saw a little movie he did i recommend it to if joel's looking for a d- you know, deep blind side kind of thing um blind spot kind of thing there's a movie called the american side um it's this little uh mystery film kind of like a um a cd buffalo private detectives trying to kind of unravel a plot that involves like Nik- nikola tesla stuff complete unknown cast other than like camila bell and then matthew broderick and janine garofalo and it's one of robert forrester's last performances and you've got a little bit of robert vaughn in there so they kind of bring this like 70 swagger to like a modern detective story in cd buffalo and david shire comes rolling in with like a 
that kind of flavor of score in a 2016 movie. And it, it plays so good. So if you can find it, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, but uh, American Sight, small little recommendation I'll drop in the middle of the show. Is that the one where he has the, he wears like the sheriff stuff? Is it that no, one? it's just, um, it's like an, un, again, an unknown actor. I've, I've actually met him, but I don't know if anybody would know him. His name is Greg Store, a uh, female director, Janet Ricker. And uh, yeah, 2016 film. You're going to make me look it up on the streaming. Search okay. Screen. No, I was just curious. Cause like there was like Robert Forster, like he did Twin Peaks, the return. And then I think he just wore the same costume. That could like very his well last be. movie, and I was like, I wonder if yeah. it's that one, but I guess not. It, this might be because he does like he looks like just like an old pimp in a nursing home at this point, where he's like the flannel, the plaid, the, you know, the heavy fabrics and all that. <laughs> this one's on Tubi for you Tubi fans. That's where the American side is. So. Oh yeah, the best streaming yeah. service there is. I I dig some Tubi, so yeah. So many movies I've seen on Tubi. Well, as we're talking Oscar talk, like going into the, this movie came out in 1974. Walter yeah. Matthau and uh martin balsam are both academy award winners at this point um, yeah definitely but you know balsam won for um it's called a thousand what's it called a thousand clowns and then uh-huh. math and that was in 63 or 64 and then math okay. won in 67 for the fortune cookie mm. um and then math was nominated again in 72 so like you know and then like robert shaw uh, man for all seasons before this but anyways 66. yeah yeah so i mean it's got a lot of heat you know and and um to not get anything like matt Matthau and balsam for sure i could have seen being like lead well, and supporting but well mr best picture guy you know that year mm-hmm. uh it mm-hmm. was godfather 2 which obviously deserves sure. to be in there chinatown He's which best. deserves to be in there sure. yeah conversation which deserves to be in there but you know what sure. i can see I can see this replacing the towering inferno. Like, I mean, oh, sure, it's a one hundred percent technical, yeah. but yeah. like, I don't think anyone. I mean, people remember it, but it's more of those Irwin Allen disaster picks and more of a, you know, popularity thing there. I think than anything mm-hmm. else. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I would replace towering inferno. The other one is Lenny, which I have no idea what that is. But um, is that the Dustin Hoffman movie? Oh, that could very well be. Who knows? I mean, the, the, well, the Lenny Bruce you know movie. It is. It's Lenny Bruce movie. Yeah, there you go. So I don't know, maybe, but yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, so do you think this is a good question? Because um, Matthau said that his part was initially just kind of a supporting role, but because he attached himself to it, they made it bigger. Mm. Do you still think he would be like a best actor caliber performance or best supporting actor performance? I, I would call him the lead, the definitive yeah. lead. I, there's no one else that because he's got the beginning and he's got the end. You know what I mean? I think everyone else there well, is supporting. So you I got, agree. so you got then that year you have Art Carney for Harry and Tonto who won. Mm-hmm. You've got Albert Finney for Murder on the Orient Express. Dustin Hoffman for Lenny. The hell of a part for Finney. Jack Nicholson, Chinatown, and Al Pacino mm-hmm. for Godfather Part Two. So that's yeah. a pretty tough yeah. break Maybe you do drop him to supporting <laughs> just to get yeah. the nom. <laughs> Why? Well, or you put Shaw there? Because you know? De Niro won that year. So yeah, no, he's not going to uh, win that year. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, that's that's interesting. I mean, but, uh, you know, this is another thing I think where, you know, they probably wouldn't appreciate the screenplay as much because it it feels, maybe it is written, but it feels highly improvisational, doesn't it? It kind of feels a little, 
It does. Oh, yeah. it, a lot of the guys like, just spinning off of each other and saying things, you know? It feels like, yeah, you set the camera up and it was just like, do your jobs, you know? Like Altman, like mm-hmm. everyone's kind of talking over each other. And yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was great. Can we talk about the jokes in this? Go for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's two, there's two, there's, well, there's three bits. The first, the first one's the sneezing, um, where even if the guy was sneezing, like on the train car, Mathau and in like the, you know, you know, wherever he's at, like with all the control and all the boards was, would always like push the button and say, cause tight. like that was, that's just funny to me that he would do that. Mm-hmm. Like that he would even care to do that. Um, but there was, there was, okay. So when the rail car is stopped. The terrorists have stopped the rail car and everyone, that's when they kind of know something's up because it's kind of fucking up everything. Mm-hmm. So they, it starts to move. And so they make all these different switch plate phone calls to each other, like over the radio, like she's moving. Who's moving. And it's like, what do you mean? Who's moving? It's the it's Pelham one, two, three is moving. And he's like, okay. And then they call somebody else. Like she's moving. Who's moving. Pelham one, two, three, they're moving. And then it goes again. It's like, how many fucking yeah. trains are hijacked right here? Like, like there's, and it's just was like funnier and funnier every single time. But the well, one yeah, that, there's, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, no, like, there's, no, a, can, there's that one line where the, you know, the plumber's getting in there and it's like, why is this door unlocked? It's like, who's going to steal right. a train? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but go ahead. Sorry. But yeah. All those things. But my favorite one that kind of was like strung along the entire movie was, they knew at some point that there was an undercover cop in the, in the, in the train car, but they didn't know if it was a male or a female. And I, it doesn't even, it's so dumb that they would even like, is it a male or a female? Like, you know what? I never even thought to ask. I don't know. And so the entire time they're trying to debate if it was a male or a female. And they're like, well, what if it's a broad, if it's a broad, what's she going to do? Like, you know, like, like she can't do anything or whatever, you know, like some very sexist remarks. Well, I think it was, I was curious about that because they also get on the, uh, the woman who gets her ring stuck in the toilet. Yes. And so I'm thinking, I'm I'm not like a expert on history, but I'm assuming around that time, there must've been some sweeping changes in terms of diversity with women being able to join the workforce more Uh, because, because there's a lot of cracks on that, not just with the cop. Now that cop thing works really well because the whole time I thought it was the sleeping drunk woman. 100% that I was a sleeping drunk woman. I was like, okay, she's faking it. She's just waiting for her opportunity. And then nope, she's just drunk. She wakes up. She's like, huh? (laughs) The best part is at the very end when the cop jumps out of the real car and he's on the tracks and he starts to shoot at the terrorists when they're making their escape. Mathau comes and it's a very throwaway line. Like you might miss it, but he pats him on the shoulder and he's like, we'll get you an ambulance miss. Cause the, because, and he calls him miss because he's got the long hair and didn't see yeah. his face. Everyone just thought it was a girl, but like they, they had strung that along the whole freaking movie just for that one little, you know, joke at the very end. I was, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's a good bit. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, this it's, I think people forget. I mean, I also think for men of our age, roughly, I'm sure Joel is the younger of us. Yeah. You're the I mean, I'm friend. like 36. I mean, I'm not super. Oh, gee. I just turned 41. I, you know, I mean, to me, I mean, I, I love Walter Matha. Jack Lemmon's my favorite actor, but I knew them as very more broad comedy kind of guys. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, I, was, yeah. I was the grumpy old man out to see, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Odd Couple 2, which was the strangest sequel I think ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. And, you know, I think sometimes people do. They go like, well, oh, he's the hero of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, he's also in Charade. And it was, I just remember kind of watching 
he when he would do the Billy Wilder stuff, like the fortune cookie, like you know, kind of playing kind of a, a hustler, scoundrel kind of person. You can buy that, but yeah, I think people forget sometimes that he's, you know, he was a in demand Oscar winning actor who could do a lot of stuff. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. I think another cop might be like a Leslie Nielsen. People forget he used to be like a yeah. leading man, serious actor. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of the generations of the you know bo- uh, born and raised in the eighties and nineties think of him as the naked grumpy old guy, man. You know? yeah. 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 Well, well it's, for math, uh, it's grumpy old men and all the stuff. Yeah, for men. sure. Like none yeah. of I mean, when I saw like a face in the crowd. And stuff like that. Like I never knew Mathau could do stuff like that. I was I'm I'm waiting for Dennis the Menace and Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, mm-hmm. Charlie Ver- he did Charlie Varick and Charade yeah. and, and this and yeah, he's he's got the ability to do it. But also, if anyone has ever, I know this is a weird cop, but like mm-hmm. the reason the reason why like shows like The Wire and stuff like that were so big is I read the book Homicide by David Simon. Cops are like Walter Mathau. They're not like. Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon. They're they're more like these kind of everyday schmoes that are kind of put up, you know, uh, put down by everyday like annoyances. You know, like th- that's one thing I I did really like is like I said, it, it, everybody felt like they it was just a minor annoyance to that. Mm-hmm. Even the mayor's just like, can I just stay in bed, please? Like I don't even want to deal with this and. You know, it's. I'm sure there's maybe some New York insider New York humor on that. About I don't know who the the mayor is, though. I did get a get a good laugh at when she's like when Lee she, Wallace, right? Yeah, I don't know who it really yeah. was, and I don't know the history oh. of that particular mayor. But I, you know, they make a nice joke that I laughed at when she's like, "Yeah, you're a regular LaGuardia or whatever." But um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of kind of poking fun at bureaucracy and. Uh, people trying to work together like transit trying to work with you know city cops and city cops trying to work with the government and government trying to work with the federal reserve and there's some really clever things there uh that i that i particularly enjoyed well we brought it up and as as long as far as inside jokes go so lee wallace plays the mayor in this movie and then 10 years later he would play the mayor in sydney lumet's daniel and then and then a couple years after that he'd play the mayor and Tim Burton's Batman, <laughs> Batman 89. Oh. Like literally his name is just mayor. in like all of those movies. If it pays the bills. Wow, so he's the mayor guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's probably guys like that that play judges and right. Oh yeah. You know, it's cops and, and things like that for sure. I could, I could, yeah, I could see he, he looks very mayoral. It's kind of like when, um, the, the guy who played Charlie Manson and once upon a time in Hollywood also played him in Mindhunter, the show. Right, yeah, right, right. cool. And then what's his face? The actor Michael Sheen plays Tony Blair in everything. Yeah, like he's Blair, yeah, he yeah, played yeah. Tony Blair in like fifteen movies and TV shows. So yeah, <laughs> got the look. Got the look. Yeah, I'm reading notes here where like um just the some of what it could have should is where this is the film debut of uh great black actor Bill Cobbs, you know yeah. who's uh one of our mm-hmm. Night of the Museum guys at least for me being a dad. Yeah, we see sure. that's way too much. Um. Steven Spielberg was courted to possibly direct this. And obviously if that happens, does he still make Jaws the very next year? I, I fathom a future where he makes this. I think he can make a hell of a movie like this, but at the same time, like very glad he did Jaws instead. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, um, I, I, I don't even want to give the remake talk. Uh, you know, it's just not, have you, have you guys it's seen not bad? It's not, it's not bad. bad. It's just not Denzel helps it, you know? Well, and John Travolta does say, I had to look this up because I had to get it right. Yeah. Uh, 
Lick my bunghole motherfucker. <laughs> he does say that in the movie, so that's that's good. Yeah. Solid line. <laughs> yeah, it's no Gesundheit, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah. up there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But, was uh, that a Tony Scott Tony movie? Scott. One of his last yeah. movies, I believe. Yeah. Not his last one, but one of his last ones, because I know he yeah. did. It was like after that, like Deja Vu. Yeah, he kind of had. He went through that period where he stuck to a type of filmmaking, the shaky cam, mm-hmm. you know, intense saturated color thing. I don't know when that started. Maybe Man on Fire. Uh, it was definitely in Domino, and it was definitely in his last picture, Unstoppable. But I, I don't know when he's you know, when that started. But uh, that is one of the the pieces of the remake. Is it has that frenetic. Tony Scott, you know, crazy camera crap, and then all the weird colors. Like, you know, there's all these insane gr- hues of green and blue, and or mm-hmm. faded out orange and stuff like that. So it's it's a little a little wild. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, if you're gonna do a remake of a of an absolute stone cold classic, <clears throat> like you gotta have to, you know, a little flair on right. it. You know, yeah, little, yeah. well, Denzel. Denzel himself kind of went through a little period of making remakes because like, remember he did the Manchurian Candidate also yeah, Magnificent Seven. I would say around yeah. this time, yeah, he did a Magnificent Seven remake. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but you know, it's the, I'm this, one of those guys where go ahead fodder for remakes. I was just gonna say this is the kind of thing that's a fodder for remakes. It, like I said, it's it's yeah. kind of a it's kind of a timeless. I mean, you can adjust it because I think part of the remake involves like CCTV cameras and cell phones and stuff like that, which obviously plays into mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of see. I come from the school of thought, like the memes say, like remake bad movies. Don't re- like take another chance to improve mm-hmm. something that didn't work the first time. Don't take a one hundred percent rotten tomato movie and say, you know what? What would this be like post nine eleven in two thousand nine? And mm-hmm. it would be just I don't know, not as effective. So. Stay on. Oh, and, and just a little, since I'm kind of the resident Spielberg guy, you, you are. Know, uh, you know, Spielberg made Sugarland Express, and that came out in '74, so he would have been able to make this movie and go to Jaws. So, where he doesn't make Sugarland Express, then. Uh, you know what? I'd rather him. I mean, I like Sugarland Express. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of his deep cuts. It's very fascinating. Yeah, and it's an amazing directorial debut in terms of theatrical releases. In terms mm-hmm. of just having that technical ability, just right off the bat to do these incredible things, but I would love to have seen him direct this. That would mm-hmm. been, yeah, that would have been That's dynamic fine. and fantastic. Closing thoughts, fellas. I, I yeah, I just, I just think that I think <laughs> that this movie has, I think it has a lot of guts, and I think it has a lot of like you know, you know, for lack of a better term, like balls you know what i mean like like it's very it's very machismo but at the same time they're like poking fun at like we talked before about like women in the workforce and it's also poking fun at race relations because walter Matthau thinks that he's talking to a white cop the entire time and then he gets to the to meet the cop he's like oh you're a i i just thought you'd be a shorter guy or he's like i don't know he's like, he's like i don't know what i thought <laughs> but like oh, you know, and, the, and the black guy's right too yeah. the whole time he, he calls it he says yeah. they're gonna get off 
and we're chasing nobodies. And Walter Matthau's like, don't be ridiculous. Let's go follow this car. Right. And then halfway through, Walter Matthau's like, hey, wait a minute. I think we should go back because they're back there. And the guy's like, hey, that's what I said. Like, yeah. it's it's a kind of a cool moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Joseph Sargent directing Star Trek, that was a very forward thinking show and i mean i don't i don't think these these things are accidents i think these they're poking fun at these machismo you know um elements and but at the same time making like a very machismo movie um but you know i think it works on a lot of different levels i think you can watch it and just be in enjoy enjoy it or you can you know sit here and pull it apart find little diamonds and and, and look at the, the history and yeah it's just it's just a great fucking movie Mm-hmm. Well, nothing sums up what you're talking about more than making fun of that machismo than also like kind of the, you know, the scene with the Japanese men where like Matha's like, these yeah, guys are exactly. great. They can't understand a single goddamn thing I'm saying. And then they're like, thank you, sir. Yeah. He's like, you look on his face yeah, yeah. like, yeah. Oh, like, and that's where, that <laughs> and that's where you need, I mean, as much as unconventional as it probably looks on paper to it, like you, like Will said to us, eighties and nineties kids that think Dennis Manson, grumpy old men, his, his affability as the, you know, the schleppy every man, it sells that if, it, if it's a, a, you know, a stone, if it's Steve McQueen in that part, we don't buy it. You know, it, it's, mm. he's too cool. He's too good. But, uh, but because it's Walter Matha dropping the gazoon tights and whatnot, like we buy it, we buy it all movie and it's mm-hmm. hilarious. And, the, and then, yeah, the tie and the plaid, I mean, come on, <laughs> just, he just looks, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it, it just adds to making the villains look, more indomitable because they're like, wait, this guy's going to take him down. No way. And throughout collective effort, they do. And it works out pretty good, but nah, my closing thought is, um, what a template, what a template for action movies that would come after it. That, that I feel like, owe a lot to, to novels like this movies like this, where, you know, you see the sprinkles of die hard and speed and whatnot in here. Like you can't tell me that you can't tell me that third act thing in the train and speed isn't an homage to something like this. So, um, yeah, some of that is just, um, yeah, and 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 uh, it becomes that um, you know sincere you know what's the f- sincere form of flattery thing is stealing and whatnot. Imitation, I the line. yeah. Imitation yeah, the is thing. the sincerest yeah. form of flattery. Yeah, like I, I Tarantino will say it, and other people will too. Where that that's a cool little legacy for this movie is you can go, oh, look at that, you know, like I saw that in this, and yeah. it's also pre it's also pre heat. This is the first you know this is the first wild card. Yeah, Truly. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any other... Oh, I'm 100% is, but... Yeah. Um, well, and speaking of speed and Jan DeBont, we're going to have Joel back to talk about Twister on Fuck. next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But until then, uh, Joel, how will our wonderful audience find you on the interwebs and the uh, supersonic... Uh, information superhighway and whatever the fuck these kids do with so their if you want to get on the supersonic information highway you go in there you go on your whatever whatever you use um to, to get your entertainment just look up winstead's reviews uh that's where you'll find me my name is joel winstead um i have a podcast that me and my mom listen to it's called and the winner was <laughs> um i've had these guys on there i've had a couple other schmucks on there talking about best picture winners um yeah find me on letterbox joel winstead say hi awesome um and everybody else uh and if this does go to video you can see i have this nice little i don't know if it's backwards or not it's backwards on mine but whatever you get the hint um (laughs) cinephile is a fit t-shirts they are available on don's awesome website um every movie has a lesson he also has every movie has a lesson t-shirts as well as the free blockbuster the super local 
but hopefully soon to be national uh, give a movie, take a movie thing he's got going on in his neighborhood. Uh, so go to the T Republic storefront at everymoviehaslesson.com and uh, buy some shirts, people. Don, do we have other things on there too? Can we buy like mugs and stuff? Yeah, or? mugs, stickers, notebooks, whatnot. It, it, anything oh. you want of most yeah, readily available swag. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Uh, uh, I did flash- not. Flashlight well, or flashlight? Which one? Mm, the first one. I didn't pose for the artist for that one, so I don't know how how well molded it's going to be. But yeah. Oh, don't worry. I got you covered there. No problem. Yeah. Um, well, you I do get a big I, old book. I, so, I just yeah. used my own. So. Yeah. Correct. Um. Wow. This went downhill quickly. All right. Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast and Instagram at Cinephile Fits. You can find me and Don by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews, ratings, and lists. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. And we are not just on Rotten Tomatoes, but we are changing lives for movies out there. Hanover Street is, I'm hoping by the time this episode comes out, a positive, positive, uh, I guess, what's ripe tomato? It's no longer rotten. Because of us. That's the duty me and Don do for you. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast. It is sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25YL Media. If you enjoyed this show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.